Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Hi guys, welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined on this stream by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going fairly well. You know, it's a funny thing. Every week we prepare for the show. And I think this is the week where I'm going to have to go turn over the couch cushions, dig up the <laughs> paving stones in the backyard. And I, I, I have, it, it, there's just a ton of stuff. Every week there's a new ton of stuff to be talked about. It's remarkable to me how even in the midst of all this craziness, Formula One does not fail to deliver ridiculous amounts of content for us. Oh, I see what you mean with content. Dig around in the garden for content. I'm actually, I'm not disappointed. It's nice to have F1 news. But I think where we've always had just a little bit of an edge over our competitors is that we're not a news show. So when there's no news, we're like, great, we can talk about the advantages of an extra inch on your on your rear wing, <laughs> on your rear wing. Like- on you, you okay. mucky pups. I what? said rear wing. What? Do you know what I mean? What I'm saying is we've always been able to go, right, brilliant. There's no news. That's great. We can talk about a bunch of other stuff. But at the moment, that's not a luxury we have. We are on the news rails today. And we even have a little bit of a scoop that we already shared on Twitter. I know. Very exciting. I can't wait to get to that part of the show. Awesome. Well, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the tenuous permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Joining me, uh, apparently from the pit lane in Monaco, what a great green screen background you have there. It's Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Spanners. I think I've just got my voice back after the excitement of the Formula Renault Challenge on Friday. And you and Chris Catman-Turner once again provided fantastic commentary. Uh, go over to Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube to see that action. But honestly, no, I mean, the production from Steve and the conversation and commentary from you guys 
and the fact it was a brilliant track and the fact everyone mm-hmm. was disciplined and racing really well and put practice in and is getting used to the car, that's our best production of, uh, you know, of our Missed Apex iRacing series. I'm, I'm really genuinely proud of it. For sure. And like the fact that you guys put on such an amazing show as well. In all three races, there was a brilliant story to tell. And I came fifth, but we'll talk, we'll talk to Matt about that later. Matt, did you also come fifth? Just a quick, just quickly checking if you came fifth overall in the iRacing. Uh, fifth overall in the iRacing. Sorry, yeah, cause are you I talking did. The overall championship standings. Are you talking <laughs> about the races in Silverstone? I don't know. Uh, my best finish was eighth. No time to argue, but I'm definitely ahead of Matt on the championship table, Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube. And we have a new friend to speak to as well, all the way from, I'm going to get this right, from the Netherlands. It's uh, Jules Seegers. How's it going, Jules? Hi, Spanos. Uh, great to be here. I'm not going to make that mistake where I, I say Holland instead of the Netherlands. Please say that you are actually in Holland so that I can freely make that mistake. You can just call it Holland. That's just fine. Are you sure? People get really snobby about it. Yeah, well, isn't that typically Dutch? Well, you are a, a lifelong uh, F1 fan and also a journalist. And, and now you are imparting your journalism knowledge to the next generation as well. Yeah, true. I um, gradually uh, started uh, lecturing journalism instead of uh, practicing it for uh, one of the uh, leading Dutch newspapers. So, um, yeah, try to uh, bre- breed a, a new uh, generation of journalists. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. That's your panel, uh, Matt Trumpets, Chris Stevens, and Jules Seegers. Uh, loads of news coming up, uh, so let's get to that. Big Dirty News. Well, it's no secret that the Big Dirty News at the moment is still the driver market, Matt. But we are also going to talk about the stuff going on at McLaren, uh, the possibility of Renault surviving or not. And uh, some actually some genuinely interesting news on the cost cap as well. And we'll definitely get to all of those topics within our strict one hour time limit. Uh, but you left off the tires there at the bottom of the notes. Oh, somehow I failed to see that. But anyway, uh, let's move on. Look, the driver market so far, we've we've covered the Vettel story to death. Um, Him leaving Ferrari, the whys and the wares of it. Actually, the next biggest story in all of this is Daniel Ricciardo's move. Uh, you know, when you were looking for the next big piece to move, I wasn't actually terribly excited about who Ferrari had as their de facto number two. Okay, it's Carlos Sainz. Well, well, we'll see. Carlos Sainz is somewhat an unproven entity, but Daniel Ricciardo, people think that he is more or less the final version of Daniel Ricciardo, and he had a huge contract at Renault, and presumably he's also got a big contract at McLaren. Uh, this is a big player, a big piece on the chessboard moving. And Joe Saywood said last week that he felt it was a mistake, which was quoted all across the Australian uh, media publications. You know, I started out thinking it was actually a pretty good move. And for the very simple reason, Mercedes power unit, they were best of the rest. They look like their uh, team that is holding station, maybe trying, maybe on the way to uh, reclaiming some past glories. Now, I agree, I think, with Joe's assessment, anyone's assessment. I don't really think if push came to shove, you'd ever see a McLaren beating Mercedes for a race win. But outside of that, that would seem to be, if you think Renault has topped out 
in the midfield, then that might be the best seat that's available. But just in this last week, we're starting to hear some interesting financial news about McLaren. And I do wonder if maybe, you know, a frying pan fire kind of situation for Mr. Ricardo there, because both Renault and McLaren, there's been an awful lot of finance and businessy kind of news going on about them. And it's not all been, uh, it's not all been kittens and rainbows, shall we say. I think on the face of it, at the, at the moment, anyway, it, it's at best a small step forward. You know, you would definitely argue that McLaren right now are a better team than Renault. It's a small step forward, but he's still lingering in that midfield. What evidence is there that McLaren is going to bridge that gap to the top three teams? Or even could it, in a couple of years, just be the top two teams? Because there's the, the whole idea is still floating around that McLaren will become a de facto Mercedes team again when the works team pulls out. Now, I think that's that's the key hope. And I think when you listen to Zach Brown talking and, you know, his plan of going to to Mercedes and using that Mercedes engine, there does seem to be that kind of lingering hope that, well, you know, if they're the de facto customer team, if they can stay ahead of Racing Point and, and Williams, which I suppose is a little bit easier, then, yeah, I mean, everyone's always talking about where the Mercedes pull out. If they do eventually pull out it's likely they'd want to keep their engine plant going and that the, the the F1 team would be sold as another entity. So Brackley would just be racing under another name and they'd still want the engines in there. So, you know, then there's a real competition. Does the new Brackley entity become the de facto customer team or do you have two equal status customer teams? I can imagine a path back for McLaren to glory. For me, it would kind of go back to how it was prior to Mercedes coming back to Formula One in 2010. Um, so I can't remember if they still made the engines in Brackley um, back then, but, you know, it was still under the Mercedes name since they uh, joined McLaren in 98, was it, or 97? Um, and and more of a continuation of that sort of relationship because it was incredibly successful. Even when Mercedes returned as a works team, McLaren was still the top Mercedes team. Uh, I wonder what the panel uh, think about perhaps some of the personalities. Jules, Daniel Ricciardo, he comes across as this, you know, fluffy, oh, media friendly. He's such a lad, isn't he? But I don't know. For me, it feels like there's a a real steely coldness there. Like, will he will he deal well with another Prince Joker, if you like, with Lando Norris? I think there might be some kind of alpha bants, alpha comedy male syndrome things going on there. Yeah, probably. Everybody's um, awaiting this uh, this uh, pair of jokers, really. And and we all know Daniel uh, Ricciardo as uh, one of the funnier uh, guys, one of the funnier uh, drivers, and very marketable. Um, Certainly, yeah. But we also know that when you push his buttons, and when his teammate pushes him uh, uh, in 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 a in a competitive way, um, he can become become really cranky. And I think we all remember his remarks when I think in Hungary, uh, Max Verstappen passed him kind of a rude way. And uh, he, he was becoming really feisty, like we don't really uh, get to see a lot of him. And um, I always get a bit of uh, uh, of resistance against uh, uh, this this bandwagon of, oh, Daniel Ricciardo, he's so funny. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I always um, uh, tend to think like, yeah, well, nobody's 
really like that. I mean, if, if you're a successful Formula One driver, you have to have an edge and, 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 and when, when, yeah, it's, um, I agree. He's, uh, he's, uh, um, I, I think he's got an edge. Chris, I, I've always said they don't call him the honey badger for no reason. He is ruthless off track. And that cranky side of him that you, you mentioned, I think that's exactly why he hasn't taken Vettel's spot at Ferrari. Now, we always said if he were going to leave Renault, surely it would be for one of the top three teams. A seat's opened up. He hasn't taken it. Now, whether that's because Carlos uh, beat him to it, if you were Ferrari, you maybe want to go for Daniel first because he's got the 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 history and the reputation of being a race winner already, uh, which Carlos does not, uh, regardless of how high you may rate him or, or both of those drivers. But surely Daniel is also thinking, I don't want to play second fiddle to Charles. I've already had that at Red Bull. I don't need that at Ferrari as well. But it's going to be interesting to see then how he gets on once Lando starts eating him and qualifying because Lando has been <laughs> fairly quick and Ricardo has not, was not faster than Verstappen. And I just, I just, I'm, it's going to be very interesting to me. Signs had the same issue and he very much got on top of Norris mentally beat him like a gong in the race. I wonder if that's going to happen again. All right, let's have Chris and then Jules, because Chris, you look desperate to get back in there. Well, I th- Daniel is a good qualifier. It was his qualifying performances that got him that Red Bull seat in the first place over John Eric Verne. I think Max Verstappen is a sensational qualifier. And for sure, Carlos had the edge over Lando. And Lando's other big weakness was not getting his elbows out in turn one. He just bleeded positions at, at turn one. And that's something he's what said he's going to work on for the for this season if we ever get going. Jules, yeah. If we go back to your initial question, uh, was it a smart move to to go to McLaren and talking about teammates? How much choice did did Ricciardo really have? He's in Renault. In for all parties, it's been an underwhelming 2019 season. He knows uh, Esteban Ocon uh, is his new teammate. Ocon has a reputation, I think, as being kind of toxic. Um, so he knows he's in a French team. French driver comes in. Um, how much choice did he had? I think, I think he knew, knew his days were counted and, and couldn't go anywhere else than McLaren because bur- bridges at Red Bull are burned, I think. Wait, wait, hang on a minute, Jules. Um, you're, you're going to have to face with that. You're going you're to have to deal with that deadpan look on Trumpet's face. Ocon is toxic, Trumpet's. Your boy, toxic. Uh, this is not what I've heard. I think maybe you mispronounced fast, but I, I'm curious to hear whereabouts you get that impression. Um, I think we all remember his uh, relationship or non-existent relationship with uh, Checo Perez at, at Force India and the way he behaved against, uh, for instance, uh, Max Verstappen in, uh, in Brazil and especially the aftermath. And he, I think he never really... Uh, came across as a real team player and uh, just he's there for Ocon and that's his, his right of course but uh, I think with him in a French team hard 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 time for Daniel well that's some racism in our chat room I'm only kidding uh, Ra says uh, Ocon isn't toxic Dutch people talk about Ocon unfairly that's interesting and this is why we made a concerted effort at the end of last season to start reaching out to our uh, to our media friends uh, in continental Europe as well. So it's great to be hearing this point of view and not be in our echo chamber. Chris? So that 
history with Verstappen it goes all the way back to European Formula 3 as well it was Max's first uh, season in car racing and, and I think Ocon was among many people who were not that impressed by this guy who went from karting straight into F3 and then straight into F1 as well even though Esteban ended up coming out on top in the championship that year uh, the, the people still debate it to this day about because Max had more car failures and Esteban was with a better team and obviously was more experienced in car racing than Max was. So uh, there's uh, there's always been this this kind of uh, rivalry between those two, and I think the fact that uh, Max is you know, even now a race winner while Ocon is still fighting for a place on the grid, um, and you know he's got it this year. But I I, I just think there's a bit of um, maybe jealousy might not be the right word, but certainly not uh, not a great feeling. You've got a bit of support in our chat room, by the way, which you can go and join by searching for Mixed Apex Podcast on YouTube. You can chat along, but Jules Bath is on your side, and Bath says, "I agree with Jules, and I'm I'm not Dutch, so you're not fully on your own." Thanks, Beth. Matt. Well, I, I'm kind of surprised because, frankly, the whole Verstappen Ocon thing in Brazil was nothing but Ocon literally following team orders. The team boss said, get in his way, mess with him as much as you can. And he absolutely did. And when it came to the post-race showdown, I would argue that it was Ocon who absolutely had the mental upper hand because he provoked Verstappen and Verstappen totally fell for it and wound up getting sentenced to go to a Formula E event. What a horrible thing. Right, Chris? (laughs) Sorry, I'm joking. (laughs) We'll talk a little bit about Formula E later, the shenanigans. Oh, my gosh. The I am going to say, and we'll come to this later, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll prefix it with this. The Formula E offerings, I don't think, have been the best esports offerings out there. Uh, we'll get to that uh, later. I'm glad, though, that this detailed deep dive on Ricardo's move has been so, so focused on Ricardo. Well, we have Ocon, Verstappen. Let's get back to Ricardo for just a second. So... He's going over there to McLaren. He's going to be faced with Lando Norris. Now, I just want to make a little bit of a point for our boy, you know, as as a Brit, uh, for our lad there. He is going to be in his second season in Formula One. So I think a little bit of expectation management is fair. The problem is that we're a bit spoilt, the Brits now, where we think, well, Lewis Hamilton came in for the first season and matched point for point. Fernando Alonso, the two-time champion, charismatic, enigmatic Fernando Alonso. So we kind of expect Brits to sort of come in, be instantly brilliant and go and win a championship in their second season. But Lando Norris, you know, perhaps he's not Lewis Hamilton in that he's still very young. Lewis Hamilton came into the sport a lot older. It was a different sport as well. The driver standard is probably higher now than it was in 2007. Daniel Ricciardo is the finished article. So Chris, I would still expect... Daniel Ricciardo to go in there and have that edge of experience, uh, uh, race knowledge, race craft, aggression, uh, knows how to work with a team, is is older, is more mature. I fully expect Daniel Ricciardo to go in there and beat Lando Norris. Not saying that Lando won't be better eventually, but for now, for next season, 2021, you know, I think I think that's the case. Yeah, 100%. I can't disagree with that. You would fully expect uh, Ricardo over the course of a season to uh, have the upper hand over him if he suddenly finds that you know uh, Lando is able to, to, to beat him over a race run consistently. That might start to worry him. Um, I think it's a different story in qualifying just because I think um, there, there are so so many fewer factors that come into it uh, compared to a compared to a race. And we've already you know talked about the, the the weaknesses that Lando had in his first season that he really does need to 
um, address because it's it's funny with Lando because you usually oh, go, no, you go on. no hang on completely... what are those what are those weaknesses well, so, so the, the the lap one thing where he wasn't you know getting involved enough which is kind of the opposite of what rookies would usually do especially when they've come in through the the GP2 F2 which had uh, you know a bit of a reputation for drivers coming into Formula One and and treating it like it's the same series and being absolutely ridiculous in terms of their racecraft like the Roman Grosjean yeah. um, years for example whereas he went the opposite way and uh, barely ever got himself into scuffles. Uh, if we, if we uh, can uh, pres- uh, again um, um, say like Daniel Ricciardo, he's 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 the the funny guy, but he, he's a smart guy. He's experienced. Sure, he's, yeah. he, he turns thirty one this summer, and I think Lando Norris can count himself really lucky that McLaren already announced him for for twenty uh, twenty one uh, as well because. Yes. Um, this, the next season will be a, a bit of make or break for Lando, I think. And I think Daniel Ricciardo, he has the age. He's older than Sainz. So like Sainz and Norris were a bit like brothers. I think uh, Ricciardo with his experience and his, his uh, subtle maneuvers could really become the, the dad in this relationship. Subtle and, maneuvers and- coming from about 100 meters back, overtaking people over the top, round the sides. Uh, there's nothing subtle about the way he drives. It's It's incredibly... Uh, it's incredibly impressive, aggressive. It's great for Formula One. That said, I'm not a massive Ricardo fan. I secretly believe that he's a tiny bit evil, just a tiny bit, not massively. I worry for Lando that he's going to go in there, you know, off the back of not leaving Red Bull on the best of, of circumstances. So he's kind of burnt a bridge there, as Jules said. Then he's gone over to Renault, and it looked like that relationship had a very bad start, and it looked like... You know, he's left there uh, in a bitter way as well with Cyril Abitable making not-so-veiled comments about unity, loyalty, all that kind of stuff. So Daniel Ricciardo, you you would imagine, is somebody who definitely wants things the way he wants them. And I I, I, I worry for Lando that he's going to get, you know, maybe be too nice, maybe be too naive, uh, get caught up in the Daniel Ricciardo train. And now uh, we've got, uh, obviously, a passionate Lando fan. I'm a Lando fan as well. Uh, Wings in our live chat, who says it's not that cut and, cut and dry. Absolutely, it's not that cut and dry. I think Lando Norris does have the capability. I'm just putting my penny down. And yes, he did very well against Sainz, who is no slouch at all. Hardly any slouches at all uh, at this level. Um, okay, so I, I would just conclude this, Chris, by saying that I, I think it is a good move. I'm If I'm a Daniel Ricciardo fan, I'm rather, I rather he is at McLaren, as they are now, assuming it all survives and they can make everything work, which we'll get to later. But I'd be happy for that move. I, I feel like that outfit has more yeah. potential overall. For sure. I think we'll start seeing him in, you know, in the points much more regularly. And uh, then, of course, there's you know, the whole question of who's going to replace Daniel at, uh, at Renault. You know, if it is Fernando Alonso, he must be so, so bored. Because why? Would you come back to Formula One with a team like Renault? But uh, that's a whole other topic. That's quite harsh. And it is another topic. You're right. And it's a little bit down our list. And in fact, it is next on our list. But first of all, I just want to say uh, a proper hello to Jules. Uh, thank you very much for giving up your time and coming to speak to us. Now, when we when, when we, we got you to come on, I was like, ah, oh, good. We have uh, we've got a duchy. Finally, we've got a Max Verstappen fan. So we'll stop being accused of hating on Max Verstappen, which we really don't. Like I've, I've said some very nice things about him. Then it goes and turns out you've ruined it because you're not actually 
a Max fan? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this, and um, I think it's uh, it's to do with uh, when Max entered F1 scene. I was working as a as a F1 reporter, so I had some kind of professional distance uh, towards him. And um, uh, on beforehand, already every, pretty much everyone in in the Netherlands concerned with F1 uh, jumped on the bandwagon, and that just never ended, as you guys probably know. And my, my job as an F1 reporter obviously is to remain some, somewhat, uh, objective towards him. And I think, I think that's why I'm, I, I'm not the fanboyism, uh, on the fanboyism <laughs> But side. you don't, you don't dislike him. No, no, not at all. No, I mean, he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant driver, extraordinary talent, especially for, uh, for Dutch, uh, uh, levels. And I think everyone here knows that this is a one-off that you can breed another Max Verstappen like Jos has done. Okay, I'm going to so, interrupt you there just just briefly because you've said a fascinating thing there. You've said for a Dutch driver. Now, you know, in the UK, we're spoilt for motorsport. You can go watch motorsport every day of the week if you want. Is that not so much the case in, in Holland, in the Netherlands? There's a motorsport scene, um, especially because of uh, Zandvoort, of course, and there's all kind of lower... Uh, car uh, races and classes. Uh, we have some motorsport teams like MP Motorsports in F3 and F2 and Van Amersfoort Racing in F3 who raced Max and earlier Jos. And of course, you have the motorcycles TT uh, in Assen. But a, a talent like this or, or drivers at a level, level like Max, that's unknown, uh, unknown, for, unknown, for, unknown for here. Um, so so yeah. what, what was it like before, Max? Was there, was the, the, the I mean, I know a lot of Dutch fans who have, have been Dutch fans for decades. It wasn't just down to Jos and, and Max. No, we, we've had uh, Dutch F1 drivers uh, in, uh, in uh, the 60s, 70s, uh, a few never really successful. Then you had uh, Jan Lammers in the 80s, who uh, later on went uh, to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans in a Jaguar. He was to race for March F1 in 93, but then the team collapsed, so it never happened. And then Jos Verstappen came and he really ignited some kind of F1 love because at, in his era, F1 started to become a television sports uh, in the Netherlands. And that wasn't the case really uh, before that. So we had all the races live, um, Dutch F1 commentator, and uh, that, so it really took off. And he ignited it to a level that was uh, never to be repeated after that by either Christian Albers or Robert Dornbos or Guido van der Garde until Max. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know the chat room will very quick to jump on us and talk about the other Dutch drivers. I, I apologize, of course, uh, Guido, who entertains me greatly on his on his social media, Albers. Um, yeah, yeah. What didn't mean to besmirch Dutch motor racing at all. Uh, however, Chris, you know, it's not perhaps. Um, I, I, you know, I'm just going to stop talking. And let you talk. <laughs> I, I find it absolutely fascinating the influence that uh, one sportsman can have over an entire nation. If I were to use Indonesia as uh, as an example, oh yeah, when Rio Harianto came to Formula One, like before he was in Formula One as well, he was already like the most famous person in Indonesia. Like he can't walk through airports without being mobbed by fans. 
And so can you imagine like when he did get to Formula One, the amount of national pride they all felt and they made it very clear by spamming the very first driver of the day vote. <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh brilliant. Anyway, thank you very much for that, Jules. Uh, nice to get the Dutch perspective. And now we're gonna move over to Renault. And uh, we have gotten quite a bit of stick uh, for being kind of anti-Renault and uh, we upset, you know, uh, <laughs> some, some Renault employees. Did not mean to, we're just being honest, our opinion. Uh, and I, I, I sat and tried to examine why it was, Matt. You know, we, we did a pretty good job. I tried to examine why I somehow had this prejudice in my mind and I was trying to get over it. And then it just so happens that because of conversations you and I have had with people offline, that yep. we've been started talking about, you know, Renault, we tweeted certain stuff out. That's not come from a position of hate. We are simply disseminating information we have. Yeah, I think the the annoying thing to me, or the thing that people need to understand is stuff like that. It may not be 100% uh, accurately journalism sourced, but it's not coming from, uh, we just need people to look at our website either. If we are saying something, and I know you're going to get into this in a minute, but but no. what we had to say about this absolutely was not coming from a place of we hadn't heard it from someone that we trust. I guess that would be the easiest way to put it right now. Tell you what, let's talk about this now and then we'll go into All the right. who will fill uh, that second end stone seat. So we've already had someone angrily in the chat going, I work for Renault. You guys are just searching for clicks, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, I can get that accusation, Matt. There are outlets out there who are happy to post, you know, sensational things on the, the merest of whispers from a Reddit post and claim that they've got a source. It's true. It happens a lot. And then there's also the people who repost a standard article and just give it the, the catchy headline, Hamilton to leave Mercedes. And it turns out it's an article yeah. about Hamilton talking about what he's going to do when he retires. Exactly. And I can tell you, you know, from, I mean, from our various attempts, obviously, yeah. to, to, to write articles, we've had some, some lovely articles and blog posts, by the way, mistapexpodcast.com. Uh, there's an articles tab there. We've had loads of people step forward uh, and contribute blog posts and articles, and they've been all different styles. It's been, it's been brilliant. And I can tell you, though, from that experience, and when we tried to do it a couple of years ago, if you have Hamilton in the headline, you quadruple the amount of clicks you get. So if your aim, if your money, if your bosses are all sitting there saying what you need is clicks, then yeah, you're right. Hamilton talks about his plans to leave Mercedes. Um, that's, that's not what we're doing. We're not, we didn't, we didn't post it as an article. I just tweeted a thing we understood for starters. We're not a journalistic outlet. We have no bosses or corporations who are leaning on us to get certain figures or to generate a certain buzz. I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, why we came to those conclusions of what we tweeted. Um, and, and just to let you know that we, that I'm always honest with you. All right. So I've, I've talked in the past about our levels of, of rumor. And, and, and I tell you, if it's just something I reckon, I tell you what I reckon. But what I tweeted was this. Mist Apex understands that Renault have actively reached out, actively reached out to at least one viable entity to sell their F1 team. However, any deal must involve keeping the Renault power unit. So we've had an angry person in the, the chat room already who says, I work for Renault and that's, that's just not true. So firstly, don't believe you. But, any, but secondly, uh, let's continue with the tweet. We understand that it is most likely that Renault continues along an underfunded and non-challenging the front of the grid path as a title part push will cost 
big at, uh, at, you know, maintaining the current spending as is still a big cost uh, for them at the moment. And the choices seem to be either to sell the F1 team or to limp along until the next regulations. However, we further understand that one of the entities that they approached, that Renault approached, uh, is keen and assessing if a viable offer can be made. Now, this is not for clicks. This is not for sensationalism. If you trust me and Matt to give you honest information and you understand what we mean when we say we understand this, then then good for you. If you don't agree and you don't believe me, I it, it doesn't affect my day. Yeah. Again, we are telling people what we have heard from people that we trust. It doesn't mean that it's going to 100% happen. Doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. But I do find it interesting because there has been press about this that is not about, I know it's hard to believe that not everything is about you spanners, but what? there has been press about this outside of our universe. And uh, in Auto Week, I believe uh, Cyril was quoted as saying, uh, I can deny it, talking about quitting F1. He says, oh, we are not going to quit F, I'm, we are not going to quit F1. But he didn't say we're not necessarily going to sell the team to somebody else who's going to stay in F1. And it's long been a speculation uh, of journalists that it might be necessary, given the general financial crisis that's going on. I mean, we had the, we had one of the French finance ministers saying Renault might actually disappear as they are applying for this loan. Yeah. Now, it's unlikely and it looks for all the world like the French government is simply trying to put conditions on Renault before they give them this money so that they don't lose all those French jobs. But clearly, if you're a French finance minister, money spent on Formula One is not the same as money spent on saving French jobs and French factories. And the one thing that really does ring true to me is the fact that the power unit manufacturer is in Viry, which is in France. And so that will absolutely be something that I'm sure has to be protected. Well, well that's it, man. That's sale, it. Well, right? that, that does kind of track with, you know, yeah. what we know, which is that any, any deal, uh, when Renault approached other potential buyers, any deal has to protect Viri, which makes sense because, you know, Viri's in France and Enstone isn't. Uh, so I, I just want you guys to kind of bear in mind that Matt said we're not saying anything is 100% happening. No, we're not making any claims that a thing is about to happen. What we're telling you is what we know, which is Renault have approached at least one other viable entity. So it is at least an option. So I'm very confident that anyone telling you that Renault is not considering selling that F1 team is talking garbage. You know what this almost reminds me of? This is sort of like silly season. Uh, well, Team A talked to Driver B, like like today on Twitter, just as I was logging off and getting ready for the show. Uh, someone Someone reported, I can't remember who it was. Oh, turns out that Ferrari was talking to signs even at the end of last season. I think teams talk to drivers all the time. I think if I'm running a team, I'm always thinking about new sponsors. And if I'm running a corporation and I'm looking at financial trouble, I'm always going to be talking to people who might be willing to take assets off my hands and give me cash when I need it. So I don't see that there's any disconnect or, or argumentation here. I think it's just the way the world works. Right, so people obviously probing further. We can go no further at this time, although I'm hoping we will be able to. It is interesting, Matt. You know, it's interesting we've been doing this for a while, and I think if you're lucky enough to have some sources, you have to be careful. We've made mistakes in the past. We've learned a lot about 
you know, the relationships with people who are willing to talk to you. But we're still relatively new to this. But it is interesting from a, a you know, journalistic point of view, not that we ever claim to be, there's a few different kinds of sources. You know, you get people that are just friendly and actually, you know, get a bit of a gleeful pleasure about throwing us a little leak because they're fans maybe of what we do or they like what we do. And they just want to give us a nice juicy thing to break. Now, if you remember, Matt, the, the sweetest one was the Honda Red Bull deal. And I think we knew that uh, before most of the Red Bull team. And that even surprised Joe, who told me I was definitely wrong. But that wasn't because I'm brilliant or anything. That was just because simply because someone high up who enjoys the show wanted to help us out and said, hey, this thing is happening. And we had trusted him from previous things. And we went, all right, oh, we'll go with that then. We trust you. And it was, you know, 100% correct. It's always fun when you get to, I love learning about sort of these inner mechanics and these inner workings and sort of hearing about all the behind the scenes stuff. And that is maybe one of the biggest advantages to getting to the point where we've gotten is that occasionally someone will deign to share a little tiny tidbit with us, which you know is much like an iceberg. There's so much more beneath the surface we're never going to hear about. Uh, yes. Yeah. And of course, and then of course, sometimes you have people who are just, you know, doing it because they want to deliberately leak something. And we are getting to the sort of size where people might want to deliberately leak stuff. But again, as, as long as we get that, that feeling that it's correct and that we get to trust them, then we'll, we'll still talk about it as long as it, it being true is my only real motivation. I mean, Jules, as a journalist, you know, this, you know, if someone wants to use us to, to outlet stuff, we'll get to trust you over time. And we're quite honest with our audience between whether it's, oh, we heard this or we understand this and we're pretty sure. You know, as a journalist, it's a delicate balance and we're still learning that. Yeah, I think it's important to be transparent towards your listeners or viewers uh, about um, as much as you can, how you got hold of the information and and also um, remain somewhat critical. Like, why does a source uh, release this information? Yeah, yeah exactly. Toward, why are they talking us? to me? Yeah, why are they yeah. talking to me? If it's because there's always yeah. there's always some something to gain for such a party. And what exactly depends on who the, who the source is and and how influential uh, this person might be or what what's his interest in Renault either selling or not. Um, I think the interesting interesting an interesting bit about this is that. It would make sense from a historical point of view of Renault in F1 that they have been massively successful since they've entered the, the scene. They're here about uh, 40 years, 40 plus years, and they have won uh, the third most uh, most uh, uh, Grand Prix behind Ferrari and Mercedes, who have been here yep. for much longer time. Great history, yeah. Yeah, and and but most of those wins um, seem to come when they're not a, a factory team, but act as a um, somewhat default factory team uh, under the wings of either Red Bull or uh, Williams. So you're absolutely right. You never get information like for nothing. And um, there's a great example I would always uh, use as, uh, as an example is uh, that uh, informally there were a lot of rumors about a certain driver not being able to stay with a certain team due to certain conflicts. And um, I had a very senior member of the team flat out squash this because he wanted them to be squashed. And uh, I don't know how many other people uh, that they told, but they wanted, you know, this whole nonsense to stop. So without having to say anything official, they just tell everyone, yeah, no, it was just a lot of rubbish. And, and we're happy to be that. If you want to leak stuff through us, that's really great. And we've been lucky that, you know, over the years, we, we have, 
people in the teams um, in our roller decks. Uh, Chris, that's you don't know what a roller decks is. You'll have to Google it. I know, Ask your older that. uncle. Uh, in our roller decks, we did have you know you know team members where we can say, "Hey, I heard this." Is this true? Sometimes you just get a smiley face or a bog off. Well, that's fine. That's fine as well. That is that is part of the game. But also you have to protect the source as well, as I'm sure you guys know. Uh, last season, there was a, a driver contract and we got it really, really early. Uh, but Chris, you must have had this. If I'd have said it at the time, I was sitting in a show going, oh, I know this contract has been signed. And I couldn't say it because it would be really obvious who told me. But then by oh, the time, yeah. by the time I was like, I'll let it go out a little bit, but then it, it, it exploded and, and went common knowledge very quickly. I was like, don't. Well, it's very rare that you can actually use a leak because nine times when you get a leak, it will be, but don't say anything just yet. So you yes. just have to kind of sit on it for, for a while. By the way, I, I did just Google uh, Rolodex and I didn't realize it was Rolo Dex. I put in Rolo oh, Dex, D-E-C-K-S. Um, into into that. Oh, no, I've never owned one of those. So, someone's saying, "Oh, Joe's your leak." <laughs> Joe gives us nothing. Joe gives us nothing that he don't want to say himself. He won't even give me a discount on GP Plus magazine or his industry newsletter. No, no, not at all. But you know, it's all part of the game. Um, we have fun with it. We try and be respectful, and we try and be respectful both to the sources and uh, to the audience. But I just want to be, you know, very clear here. Uh, that we we actually we do know a little bit more. So we are sitting on some some more stuff here, but yeah. the fact is that the the Renault are willing to sell. They are open to offers, which is absolutely fascinating, and it, it puts into context you know the next topic, which is who's going to go into that that Renault seat. But I think it's worth just quickly recapping the great points that Matt made about the French government, which is if they're getting a proposed five billion euro. A bailout, perhaps F1 isn't on the top of, you know, good uses for taxpayers' money. Um, I think the noises from Renault were that it, it doesn't have, for them, F1 doesn't have that win on Sunday, sell on Monday mentality. So if they get the bailout and also then commit three years worth of budget cap, cost cap value to F1, and driver salaries on top of that, I would be pretty surprised that that flies after such a big bailout. Yeah, and uh, we know some of the details. They want more electric cars. They want the jobs kept in France. Uh, but I believe it was Amin in the chat room also made the interesting point that Renault themselves are at the point of trying to extract maximum leverage from Liberty, no doubt, going forward. So that rumors of sales rumors of the whole company going under is also a way they can seek leverage over Liberty as Formula One continues. I mean, we know Liberty's refinance themselves. They basically have an entire year's operating budget in cash right now. And they're going to do, they're going to spend that money to make sure that the sport survives with its value intact. So as teams encounter financial difficulties, much like Bernie would do in the past, he would advance you He would advance you money. He would hook you up with services. Liberty will seek to make sure they don't lose teams and they don't lose manufacturers from the grid if it can at all be avoided. Okay, well, good. Who do we fancy for that Renault seat? Well, well, Jules, tell you what, you look like you had a point there on what Matt said, but then also lead us off on who might fill that vacancy. Yeah, um, I wanted to to back up Matt here a bit because... um, the French, they are, they are a very uh, patriotic uh, um, uh, 
folk, <laughs> I, w- I was going to say. And Renault is just such a gigantic, um, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, brand for them. Yeah. And, um, let's not forget that this whole government funding uh, is for uh, the whole uh, car manuf- manufacturer Renault, not just the Formula One team. And the, yeah, the cost five billion of the would go a team, long way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the costs of the Formula One team are relatively uh, just a small part of, of the whole, uh, the whole package. So, um, I think it, it 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 would surprise me if if the French would would let Renault uh, F1 team just you know evaporate. Okay, no, that an interesting yeah an interesting perspective. Yeah, so from my point of view, perhaps I'm being too glib by saying, oh, wow, F1, it's just frivolous. It's just you know they just want their VIP passes to the paddock. Uh, but if they can make the case, yeah, that it no no no, this is important. This is important to the nation. This is important to the brand and, and the company. So who do you fancy for that seat then? I guess that, you know, the list of names on my show notes, Jules, are Vettel, Alonso, Hulkenberg, some youth, uh, or a Chinese driver. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I wanted to add, uh, Valtteri Bottas and Pierre Gasly, uh, to, to that list. Yeah. Um, oh, Chris uh, is nodding as well. Go on, Jules. Carry yeah, on. Bottas is, is uh, constantly on these one year contracts and he knows, um, uh, for Mercedes, for his seat, effectively, uh, Ocon and uh, George Russell are in line. And, um, so if he wants to be secure for the, for the coming years, to so have a multiple year contract, Renault is, is the only logical and, 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 and realistic team. Um, Pierre Gasly, why? He's French. And, um, if, um, the, the, the government funding for Renault would go that oh, far that they yeah. demand, like, we're going to be build a, a French bastion. Why not have two French drivers? And Gasly might be just, just a guy. Well, there you go, Chris. And they're going to change the, the colors. Of the car yeah. to the full, what do they call it? Tricolore. Tricolore. Yeah, there you go. Oh, but it's gorgeous though, isn't it? Every time they wave that at the beginning of the Le Mans 24 hours, oh. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. No, because it annoys me. Do you know what annoys me about car liveries is when it's a different color at the front to the back. So it's predominantly one color from the back, 
but then you see it from the front and it looks like okay, another well, color mat. That drives me nuts. Now that I know that, I'll ask for all my liveries to be made that way. Don't do it. Don't do it. Chris, your point. So my problem with this who's going to go to Renault thing is that who wants the Renault seat? What What is the advantage of driving at Renault? For some people, it's about uh, having an equal status. For some people, it's about moving into a manufacturer team. But beyond that, there doesn't really seem to be you know much evidence that you're going to be fighting for you know, podiums anytime soon. They're not even top of the midfield anymore. So I, I mentioned Alonso earlier. What is his motivation? He has nothing to lose by going there because if he's terrible, then, it, well, the car's rubbish. And then if by some miracle they get it together, he's a hero. But uh, there are there are so many people that could take it, but why? You know, and I'm not saying that just to trash Renault. I think the, the most viable option might be Guan Yu Zhou, who's sort of top of the Renault driver F2 academy. Driver. But yeah, F2 driver currently at uh, Uni Virtuosi. Uh, but they're not going to know if he can get an F1 super license until the end of the F2 season which might not be until December or January if we do end up leaking into next year because of delays. Are Are they going to wait that long? It's worth noting that they don't have to announce their driver until February, you know, 2021. So there, there is time and I'm sure there will be some mitigation for super license points. I trust them to have a bit of common sense over that. They're not going to just stifle, you know, the careers of people unnecessarily. Matt. All right. So everyone was like, why would I drive for Renault? Why would I drive for Renault? Why would I drive for Renault? I will just point out that the last of the V8 era was dominated by Renault power units. Right. right. And we are in the last of the hybrid turbo. So they have made a lot of noise about how much better their power unit is. It's only in the one car. So we don't have a good cross comparison. But, you know, they might have actually caught up. It's not inconceivable. They have a history of winning championships. They are a manufacturer, and they've been explicit about targeting 2022 as being when they plan to make their step forward. So if I am an ex-world champion, uh, Renault is the only one, much like it was to Ricardo when he made his jump, it is the only one that looks vaguely feasible if I'm not at Red Bull, Ferrari, or Mercedes. Maybe it looked vaguely feasible two years ago, but two years of the same stuff has happened. And if anything, they haven't moved forwards. They've moved backwards, uh, if anything. The other problem I have with, with Renault is... when Hang Ricardo on, no, 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 no. We've this- got to let... Sorry, sorry. We've got to let oh, no, Matt, go, okay, go got to let Matt counter that, and then we'll find out your problem with Renault. Annoyingly enough, they did shut down their wind tunnel for an extended period of time for a revamp, if I'm remembering correctly. So I tend to count that less against them. And they were explicit about targeting the 2021 regulations, which are now the 2022 regulations. So that accounts for the year kicked back. That said, the year before, they did finish fourth in the championship ahead of Haas and ahead of everybody else. So I I don't think that's an impossibility for them, if I'm being honest. Haas, the second or even smallest team on the grid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got just... Haas finished fifth. No. And then everybody else was below this. Chris, so Chris, they Chris, at the top of the midfield. Don't upset the American. We've got loads of American <laughs> audiences as well. Haas are brilliant. Just follow the company line. Okay, Jeez. okay, fine. Haas are brilliant. They were. Um, my my oh, other geez. issue with Renault is when they made this big stink about loyalty when Daniel announced he was leaving. Just look back on their driver history in the the last five years. Who have they been loyal to? They weren't loyal to to Ocon, and. 
okay, he's come back, but they just threw him under the bus as soon as Ricardo was available. Uh, so the irony in that, they weren't loyal to Hulkenberg. They weren't loyal to Magnussen. They weren't loyal to pretty much anyone. They, Jolien Palmer found out through the media he was sacked. Okay, that's pretty scathing, Chris. Uh, Matt, I, I don't think you feel as strongly. Well, I... Loyalty. What sport are we talking about here? Yeah, is it Formula also, One. Did, also, did I miss something? Also, honestly? it's business. It's business. It's a job as well. Like people who've got like loyalty to a and, big corporation and mugs. And help me out. Did they promise Oak on a seat? Yes. Did he have to wait a year? Yes. Is he there now? Yes. I think the Whoa. reason. I think the reason that Cyril is so upset, and I actually, right, I hate to be on his side for anything. But I'm going to have to kind of go with it a little bit. You don't pay a driver what you paid Ricardo to show up to your factory and immediately bail. You hire him to come on and be the development person to get you up the ladder to that next step. And he basically came, spent a year there and said, you know what? I think this is really, this is like a kind of a lot of hard work. And oh, look, there's a McLaren with a Mercedes. I would rather go there. So you guys can just like, you know, you guys can wait, just, wait, I'll wait, see wait, you guys wait, wait. later. But no, we'll be friends still. Yeah, we'll definitely be friends. I'll call you. I promise. Here's my number. And it's not the number of some random people. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Jules, pour some, pour some, some, some creme fraiche over these hot salsa and jalapenos here. I'd actually uh, want to make it a bit worse, even. Um, oh, jeez. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think um, uh, Ricciardo, he came in for such, such a big amount of money and you expect something. And he hasn't, he hasn't outperformed Hülkenberg um, in such a way you'd expect. And um, I think everyone felt that it wasn't a real match and, Sources uh, claim that Ricciardo was a bit underwhelming on the development side, setting up the car, etc. So I think they both expected more than than came out of it. Okay, just be a bit sensitive, right? As Brits, we are a bit sensitive to sources said uh, right now. So just be aware of that, uh, Chris. So Daniel surely must have realised by the time that that Renault was in a position where it was fighting for race wins, Ricciardo would be too old for Formula One. Yeah, and. We've been talking. We talked. We spent the first twenty minutes of this show talking about why he's the honey badger. There you go. He just nicked forty million off a of Renault. Oh, yeah, do you know what? I'm just. We, we're trying to be. We're trying. I'm trying to make this a nice conversation. There's a lot of us here. Our Ricardo fans. Matt has a affinity for Renault as well. So just you know, spannersready at gmail dot com. Yell at me, not them. Not even an affinity for Renault. But I see where they're coming from with regards to Ricardo. And if I could simply sum it up, it would be with his first race with them in Australia. He gets halfway down the straight, drives into a drainage ditch and destroys his car and afterwards goes, yeah, I didn't do the track walk. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no, no. We've got to clarify that. No, no. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, Chris, go Okay. No track walk. Nobody on their track walk would have seen that. You know why? Because the track walk is from pit out to pit in. And that was on the straight. So. That, that's a fair point you made there, Matt, and I understand why you made it. I just wanted to clarify because I think it is generally understood that that is what the, the pit walk is. But I wouldn't have known that without talking to Chris, who has done grid walks uh, with the teams. So I'm glad we were able to clarify that. That's quite unlucky. Uh, Jules? Yeah, I think I think the Ricciardo departure can be a blessing in disguise for Renault, really. I mean, Cyril Abitable, he plays his part like he does. And uh, I think we would all have expected this uh, response of him. But now they 
got rid of their high paid driver. I think they could turn, uh, take a turn like Ferrari, uh, uh, does right now, like McLaren tried last year, like Red Bull has built their team, uh, getting young drivers on rather low salaries and, and uh, spare that money and put it where, where it belongs in, in the car development. So. This brings us back to who actually gets the seat. And to me, this is fascinating. Yes. If I am, if I'm Cyril right now, probably I want Vettel because he's experienced and he's super good with development. I mean, yeah, he likes his car a certain way, but he's been at Ferrari. He's been at Red Bull. He probably has a lot of very useful information locked up and he's generally regarded as one of the most clever and smart drivers on the grid. He would be a super good Yet, on the other hand, if I'm Liberty, I probably want Alonzo. He's got worldwide fame. It would be a huge thing for him to come back to the sport when I desperately need eyeballs. And if I'm Reno, I want Joe. I want my young Chinese development driver because I'm going to have to sell a bucket load of electric cars in China to make the French government <laughs> That's happy. Good. That's a good point. My loan. So I'm really, I'm not sure where they're going to go here. Honestly, brilliant. I mean, we've had the properly sensible argument from Jules, which we're going to dismiss, which is like, hey, guys, you know, why don't we be all Dutch about it and like build for the future and be sensible? Shut up, Jules. <laughs> I do that. Let's talk about the sensational options. That's what we're getting to now. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it, uh, the, the two appeals. So appealing to uh, Liberty with Alonso, uh, appealing to the Chinese market. I, I will echo Matt slightly and think Vettel is the absolute no-brainer choice. If he wants to stay in F1, Vettel, and he's willing to race for 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 Renault, marketability, you've got... He's still the champ. Vettel, he's, you still think of him as the champ. Four-time world champion. You can put him on Renault ads. You can have him uh, all your corporate meets. He's a great driver. You can build the car around him. He's probably going to be better in a Ferrari that... You know, better than he was in a Ferrari with no downforce. Uh, if he asks Renault to slap a double-decker bus on his rear wing to give him some rear grip, they'll probably do it, Chris. Vettel is an obvious... If he's available, Vettel is an obvious get for Enstone. So the, the big two-letter word you keep saying during all that is the if, which is the yeah, yeah, big, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, the no, big word. We, we've done, we've, I just want to say, we've done the why would a driver want to go to Renault. Now we're just talking about, from a yeah. Renault point of view, who are you getting? No, but but this is the thing. It's not it's not even just about whether he wants to go to Renault. It's about whether he wants to stay in F1. And I just don't think he does. Uh, uh, now, that does raise the question, why hasn't he announced it already then? Uh, but uh, uh, No, because he doesn't want to, re- you know, remove the desire for the 2020 season that still might go ahead. No. And he's still in a top three team. He's still at Ferrari. And he still has a chance to become a five-time world champion by the end of this season. Okay, granted. But... For me, safe money is on Guan Yu Zhou. Chinese market, as you mentioned. So people people hear that and immediately think, oh, pay driver, pay driver. He really isn't. Is he good? He is good. To be up against uh, Callum Eilat last season, he was in a, with a very experienced top F2 team last season. But going up alongside Callum Eilat, uh, no, sorry, not Callum Eilat, um, uh, Luca Giotto, Calamalo is his teammate this season. Um, Luca Giotto, who has been in F2 for quite some time now and, you know, w- was always going to be a championship contender, but to go up against him, beat him on occasion, score podiums, get rookie of the year, he's got the talent to, to make it into F1 for sure. Yeah, no, I agree with you. He is, he does have the talent 
to be there. It's just a question of the points. I mean, we've seen Red Bull struggle with this. We've seen a lot of teams struggle as they have tightened up the super license requirements. Mm. I mean, I remember when you could just write a letter to the FIA and say, yeah, we want to kind of hire this guy. Mm. Could you give him a super license? And he'd be like, yeah, sure. Here you go. It was an exemption in the regulations. You mean marching quoi? <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. I actually, you weren't there for his last race in Brooklyn, my friend. Oh, no, but I saw Substitute. It. Okay, oh, hang on. Oh, Let, let's I be clear. You're, you're talking about a Formula E driver. Okay, so yes, just in case. Sorry, case he was an F1 test driver. Was he? Yeah, yeah. He tested with HRT, um, even though he had like no reason to be there. Jules? Oh, sorry. It looked like you were trying to get my attention there. I, I do apologize. Oh, no, oh, no it's fine. Uh, we will we will get into Formula E in just a second. I want to wrap up this, um, this who would Renault want to sign Alonso is the next really interesting thing on on the on the on the what do you call it on the horizon. So would they want to sign Renault? Have we heard anything serious apart from the Renault social media team having a bit of fun with us and uh, tweeting pictures of 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 uh, Fernando Alonso celebrating etc. There's I mean there's a history there. It's mixed Matt. It's good and bad. So, you know, would would they want to be reunited with their two-time world champion? I would think it depends on what Liberty does for them. I mean, sure, he was their world champion. Yeah, he brings he brings a big sponsorship, no doubt. His own company will sponsor your team now for a reasonable amount of money. Uh, those are both good things. But it's almost universally accepted that he tends to be a bit toxic at whatever team he is at regardless of how good of a driver he is. And I just don't know why anyone, I don't know that his talent outweighs the negatives when it comes to him being in a team. And that's just, that's just my impression of it. Now, Alex Van Gene was going to be on today. I know he had some very strong anti-Alonso views. There, There is a segment of F1 fandom who can't let go of things like Crashgate, and whether he had, you know, whether he was part of that, Matt, there's there's still a lot of bitterness towards Alonso from a big portion of the F1 community. But you cannot deny that the guy also has a massive fan base. You can't deny that the guy is fast and knows how to run an F1 team. And you can't deny that he won't bring in dollars. I, I deny none of those things. And I think back that even if he's in the process of utterly destroying Stoffel van Doren's career, despite Van Dorn being one of his most competitive teammates ever, yeah. how hilarious he was on McLaren radio constantly, <laughs> the yeah, lawn okay. chair. I mean, like, he brings a lot of it. And I will say there is some really probably dark and twisted part of me that would enjoy seeing an Ocon Alonso battle because it would immediately get compared to Hamilton and Alonso. And who would not sort of enjoy that sort of madness in a midfield team i mean it could be very diverting that's all i'm gonna say jules how is alonso seen oh, you speak for all dutch people it's pretty racist <laughs> of me but okay you speak for all <laughs> dutch people jules how is alonso seen you know in fact let's bunch you in with whole all of continental europe how do belgian dutch German, how do they see alonso oh that's a easy question to answer now i think i think the 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 general view is that uh, Alonso is is a very very talented and one of the best drivers available. 
Um, but nobody forgot how we acted in, uh, in the McLaren Honda years. And, um, the, I think the big part that will play a role is his age. And no matter how great he was in, in his world championship winning years, no matter how good it, he was in those Ferrari years when he drove a dog of a car almost to a world championship, True. he turns 39 this summer. And uh, we saw it with Michael Schumacher. Um, you saw it with, uh, with some other drivers who, who, uh, near their forties. The, the, the best is, is, is behind them. And if you want, <laughs> well, hang on, you Jules, Jules, hang on a second. You know, I'm 39, you're 40. I was going to argue with you, but I mean, it's true, isn't it? I mean, we're definitely not as good at football. Everything's a bit harder. Every run takes a little bit longer. Like at 40, you're, you're, you're dicing with like 20 year olds. Certainly, like I had to give up five aside football last year because the 18 year olds were faster, stronger, bigger every single time. You know, it's a significant sporting milestone being at where we are right now, even though we're still beautiful and gorgeous and still feel amazing. Well, I promised myself to be wary to draw any parallels between myself and <laughs> Fernando Alonso, of course. But in all seriousness, um, uh, I think we all suffer from a, a, an image in our heads, like how good we were in whatever years ago. Like Alonso's World, World Championships are 15 years old. Whoa. And, oh, um, I didn't need to hear that, yeah, if I'm sorry honest. Sorry to hurt everyone. <laughs> But, um, and I think it's more, it's, it's more realistic than just joking about it right here. The, the way he views himself, uh, is becoming more and more distant from his actual performances. Go on, Matt. What's the chat room distracted you with uh, sorry, this time? It's, it's made it onto the list. Uh, but good old Mark Greenhoff says, I had to give up standing up quickly at 41 just for <laughs> comparison's sake. <laughs> I do, I do remember at 37, I realized, oh my, I genuinely cannot get out of a chair without going, and even then sitting down as well. And, and the most disturbing thing, of course, is when you fill in an online form and it asks you your year of birth and you're having to scroll for, for an awfully long time which must be terrible for you. I don't see Alonso as a, as a real proper option. I would be very disappointed if that's the path Renault went down. I think they have two very good options. Uh, the sensible, boring Jules option, build for the future. And as Matt says, also you can harness the Chinese market while doing that. I still think there's a four-time world champion available on the driver market right now. You should be doing absolutely everything you can to pair the four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel with your new gun Esteban Ocon. It's it's a perfect fit. I would be very surprised if it's anything other than Vettel, assuming Vettel would want to go there. Uh, let's move on because there is some exciting... No, go on. We're not moving on because Matt's pointing at his face going, oh, I'm going to ruin everything. Nope. What? You owe me what? 30 seconds in the interest of my domestic tranquility. I owe you nothing but carry on. Because uh, I know you are a family man at heart. My very I own wife sent into me it, this story. Fair. But yeah, okay, fine. Do you fine. remember when, and I know this is your favorite story, do you remember when uh, former chairman of Renault in this and Carlos Ghosn was magically spirited out of Japan? <sighs> 30 seconds. I just don't care about this story at all. But you do and someone out there might. Well, and more to the point, if I don't mention it, my wife will ask me about it and then I'll okay, have to lie. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Well, it turns out they have arrested a father's son in the United States, or, or the marshals have arrested them uh, for Japan, 
who were actually responsible for spiriting him out of the country. It's a former Green Beret and his son. And if you want to go look it up online, you should absolutely do so. Because frankly, I think this could be a major motion picture at this point. They basically stuffed him into a box and carted him off oh in a private God. jet uh, through, through, um, through Turkey to, uh, to wherever he wound up, which I want to say is Lebanon. But anyway, there you go. It was just like a cool, neat little story. That's cool. But just to be clear, I mean, he, he doesn't have anything to do with Renault Nissan now. So it is more of a curiosity from like eight years ago when it happened. Except he's still on trial in Japan and Nissan is cutting 20,000 jobs. And most of Renault's money comes from the fact they own shares in Nissan. And actually this week they are going to talk about a change in their strategic partnership. So this does kind of go back to the money a little bit, but it is an indirect thing. I will grant you that. Where's the story published so people can go and find out more? Um, you didn't memorize what one? your wife told you. Oh my God. Uh, Boston.com. Uh, www.boston.com news crime. So it was, uh, they were arrested in Boston, uh, in Massachusetts. Fascinating. So he said unconvincingly. We're going to go to Chris for what I do believe is uh, a quite exciting development in the very fabric of Formula One. But first, I want to get a, a few plugs in. I want to say, go and follow me. Uh, I, normally, I start graciously with someone else, but follow me at Spanners Ready. <laughs> I like having followers. I love interacting on Twitter. I, I like having fun on there as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I did five tweets about naps. Uh, earlier today on Twitter. And if that's the action you want, then at Spanners Ready uh, on Twitter, you can be my friend on Facebook, Richard Ready, and you can support this show as well by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Uh, the reward is supporting an independent podcaster. You are helping us survive, uh, but also please be part of our community. We have a Slack group, which has been just the best forum. I have ever been on and I spend every day in there. It's amazing. Uh, so patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. Me and Matt, once the lockdown is finished, we'll go back to doing Patreon only shows. So extra shows where me and Matt relax a little bit and uh, give you a bit more of our opinions and a bit more of our personal lives and stuff as well. And you can also get an advert free RSS feed to put into your player too. But mostly you're supporting an independent podcast. We genuinely literally would not be here if it wasn't for you. Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube. I want you to go there. I want you to just to check out just, just a moment of our, our eSports offering because I really believe in it. I, I know it's never going to have mass appeal, but I'm just so proud of what we've put together and I'm proud of the community of racers that, that's built up around it. And most of all, Matt, I'm proud that I'm seventh overall in the championship, finished fifth in the last round, and you're basically nowhere. Uh, tenth in the championship, but yeah, nowhere. it's not bad. It's not bad. I'll tell you what, Matt Chompitz for an old fella, he's pretty quick. He's pretty quick. In one of the races, he was behind me and I've been giving it a lot of smack talk since the last round. And you were edging, you were edging towards me, Matt. And it was a really good insight into how racing is not always about that wheel to wheel action. Sometimes it's about looking at the gaps and like you were four seconds behind me, then 3.8, 3.7. And when it went under three seconds, I just started panicking and I went, my, I was like, dude, You've got to focus. Do not let trumpets catch you because once, once you catch me, I'm going to be in bits. We're going to collide. And I just got my head into qualifying mode and I went, 
every corner has to be perfect. Every lap has to be perfect. Get zen. Get focused, you idiot. And I did manage to just keep you like two seconds back. But that is great racing, which I would not have really appreciated as much had we not done this single-seater esports. You know what's really hilarious about that is is that I, I did. I see. I saw myself catching you on, on the relative box. I was chasing someone who was ahead of me, and he was pulling me up to you. But then a back marker got in the way at an inconvenient time. And then I ha- I made like one mistake, I think, coming out of Luffield, which uh, just can we agree that Luffield is a turn that should never have been oh, on the track in the pay- first place? Luffield is garbage. Yeah. It's a get yes, on- disaster. Get, anyway, get you, out. You, no, hang on. You get but on the brakes I, and then you sit there with your lock on. You go, not yet. Don't accelerate yet. Not yet. Yeah, not I yet. Got, oh, got, too got, late. Yeah, yeah, too got, late. Got, oh, oh, look, I've lost half a second. How did that happen? Chris, it's stupid. Don't defend Luffield. It's the worst. You just want every corner to be Awful. super easy. I'll just, oh, just left a little bit and then right a little bit and then right a bit. Yeah, please. That would be fantastic. Thank you. Anyway, so so what's hilarious <laughs> about this is is that uh, coming out of left field, I had a mistake and I lost like half a second. And I realized I looked at the laps left, and I realized that I was never going to catch you. So I just like I just put it in drive home without mistake mode. But it's nice to know I'm living that rent free in your head. Oh, you were totally a hundred percent. You were in my head for like two thirds of that race. Uh, Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube. Just go go and check it out. Uh, tell your friends. I know it, it's never going to be bigger than you know the esports, but the, you know like the the pro efforts. But we're very proud of it. Um, I will just quickly plug the rest of the panel's social media. Jules, uh, where are you on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, uh, TikTok? Um, on Reddit, but, uh, Twitter as well, uh, just, uh, first name, surname, and, um, Jules yeah. Sagers with two yep. E's. There we go. At Jules Sagers. Chris, right. So you are at Chris on Racing because I bullied you into changing your terrible Twitter handle before you did that oh, because no. of me, because you see no. me like, um, like not a father, like a younger uncle. You know, that's how you oh. see me. You see me as like, um, you know, like a role model. Is right. why if you- that helps you sleep at night. Then well, you keep telling yourself that. You see me as a support system, like a crutch. But it's okay. I'm happy to play that role for you. At Chris on Racing, you now have a good uh, Twitter handle. But when we talk about esports efforts, I just want to very quickly talk about the... Yeah. <laughs> Daniel okay. Apt. Just quickly tell us about Daniel Apt on the Formula E esports uh, current effort. Well, I, have, I take issue with esports in general um, a lot of the time. And uh, I, I find some sort of poetic justice in the fact that on a weekend where we should have had the Monaco Grand Prix, the Indy 500, the Po Grand Prix and the Nürburgring 24 hours, probably the biggest weekend for motorsport of the entire year. Instead, we've had some lovely series where people have thrown ringers uh, in to race for them. Oh and God. we've seen people uh, in the, the the virtual Grand Prix today just smacking into barriers because it's quicker than going around corners and drivers just going, oh, it's just a game. <laughs> and that's, I that's, take real issue with that. It's really hurtful because I, I'm not going to go off on a big esports thing, but there's an esports community who do take it seriously. And yes. I think the Formula E effort has, they don't have damage on. They're on street circuit. If they had damage on, it would be carnage because it would be impossible to get around those street circuits. That's fine. But they're literally like pushing each other down this corridor on a street circuit because there's no damage on. It's absolute carnage. And unlike other efforts, the the drivers are not taking it seriously at all, which has kind of ruined it. And Daniel, I'm not going to say at all. I'm sure there's some drivers that are taking it seriously. I'm sorry. I apologize for that straight away. But there's enough drivers not taking it seriously. To, to make it look poor. And the Daniel app thing really highlights that. 
he went to a lot of effort to cover up the fact that he threw in a uh, a professional sim racer who was on. So in the Formula Esports thing, they have a, a challenge grid which is full of pro like esports people, and then the driver grid which is the actual Formula E drivers. Right. And he had their challenge grid driver do his uh do his race for him, and everyone found it was very very suspicious that he went from being twentieth to first in in the space of one week. But also the deception that went by. So they found it through his IP address that he could not have taken part in that. But the <laughs> fact that they had, they have to be on a Zoom call, um, for the broadcast, uh, for two. So they all stream on Twitch. Uh, his stream did not work. And then okay. on his Zoom call, the face of the driver was covered up by, uh, by a microphone. There was that's proper deception sus. in this. That's too, that is too suspicious. And Van Dorn was a uh, key, I think, as well in, Saying mm, that, that he called it out straight away. <laughs> saying um, that can't have been I, him. I, I I feel like um obviously it was a very deceitful thing to do, and like obviously it's it's for charity, it's to raise money for UNICEF. It is a it's it's not a great thing that he's done. I do think in a way it was maybe more intended as a bit of a joke, but uh, definitely not one that was received well at all. So I think I think. It, it's about the respect for the audience. And I can completely, yeah, I can completely understand if you're playing with a game with your friends and you don't want to take it seriously, that's fine. And we have our fourth race on our, our sim nights where Richard Molden uh, puts us on, like, what did he put us on? A very short oval with trucks and he had the damage mm. off. And the point was to kind of take each other out a little bit. And he did. He punted me off and threw me off the bank in the git. I really wanted to win. But anyway. It's disrespectful to the, the, it, frankly, it's spoilt. It's spoilt to sit there and do that when you know there's people watching who are invested and the time of the producers and the production company and everybody who's trying to make that. The commentators, they've got amazing commentators and it just, it just, just, I was going to be rude there. It just slaps them in the face. The thing, it, it's, it's an official thing as yes. well. So there's sponsors involved. Like Pagano, as Dragon Twin points out. Oh, yeah. Oh, this, this, I've been so disappointed by a lot of esports um, lately. Let's move on. Uh, quickly, just say, Jules, you an esports fan? Not at all. I, I'm, I just struggle to, to care for it. Every time uh, you see something about it, it's just the drivers running into each other, robbing each other from victories and all that. I, nah, sorry. No, fair enough. That's your opinion. But if you're wrong about that, it's hard to trust you on the other stuff. That's the only issue. All right. Let's finish up on some real F1 news here. Chris, tell me about the much uh, talk. I'm really struggling with my video switching here. Sorry, live stream. Uh, tell me about the, the, the news on the cost cap because this is, has kind of gone under the radar. Um, obviously there's a lot of news. In the British media, there's a lot of news with the esports. This has somewhat flown under the radar, but it's incredibly significant. The cost cap Very. looks official, and it's not actually what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, so they ended up coming up with that compromise because Ferrari kept you know, complaining about it because they wanted to bring it down to like 100 million. They said, we won't go lower than 145. So they went to 145, and now it's gonna it's gonna to decrease on a yearly basis by five million. So it goes to 140, 135. When it stops, we don't know. It's gonna have to stop at some but, point. But that's significant, it? you know. In a if they do it for a decade, you know, we've yeah. gone, we've gone down below 100 million, and then you're starting to talk about well, let's throw to Matt. Once you do that, you're starting to talk about well, 
privateer teams becoming a real option. Well, yeah. And let's remember that originally that cost cap was supposed to be $175 million. That wasn't the number right. the teams had. I didn't realize that. And they came down to 145. It drops down another uh, five per year. But here's an interesting thing that it's also going to vary by the number of races. So at 21 races, it's 145. If there's 20, it's going to be 144. If there's 22, it's going to be 146. So, and it, it, you know, I'm thinking that's also something to bear in mind that they, there were a lot of rules really that they talked about. And some people have brought up the Ferrari veto, but Ferrari have already agreed to this. So I don't see them vetoing it. And I think it's probably unanimous. The FIA have to confirm these rules. I believe that happens this week, if I remember correctly, Chris. Well, for me, the the really big development in all this is finally a way of um, appropriately, I think is the right word, disadvantaging the top teams, which is the the reduction in... uh, in uh, aero uh, ability, which I feel like you're very angry about the fact that you didn't get to make that point. I'm very angry because I feel like they've done it backwards. Really? Yeah. They said, we're going to limit the top teams. There is nothing more Formula One than limiting the top teams. What they should have said is that we will give extra allowance to the teams that are lower down. So wherever your whatever time your top team gets, that's 100%. And then every team beneath it gets extra time to try and catch up. Instead, they're saying we're penalizing the front-running teams. And then that brings up balance of performance. It brings up, what was it, the weight thing that touring cars do? It's all, it's going to make people crazy. But it's a genius idea because really what they're talking about is limiting the resource where the top teams already have the biggest advantage and giving the teams that are further behind a better chance to catch up. Uh, okay, so we'll come to balance of performance in a second. But Jules, uh, th- this is huge for you know the ethos of F1. It's no longer just spend to win. You know, th- this is a fundamental. This is a massive shift in our sport. Yeah, I think it's interesting to point uh, what Matt points out that it's it's actually a bit of reverse because we don't know what what the the standard will be the standard uh, allocated uh, hours you can spend on uh, on uh, on uh, the wind tunnel and R and D. So um, and the question is, do do these teams even after uh, all the cost cutting have the money to actually maximize on that extra time? Yeah, I mean, an, an excellent point, and obviously we won't know for quite some time how it practically works out. But what they're effectively talking about, Matt, is is balance of performance, which is entirely new in Formula One. I don't think I remember anything like that. So they're not actually saying, well, we'll go to Chris. We're not, they're not actually saying, you know, we're going to add ballast, for example, to the front running cars to success make the Success ballast. Yeah. That's it. Oh but my yeah, gosh. It's yes. su- but this is effectively success ballast. That's another major shift in the fabric of Formula One as a sport. I feel like it's a much purer way of doing it as well. I would kind of disagree with the term of balance of performance because for me, that's when you are deliberately trying to say, how do I make this this car and this car well, well, hang on. exactly if, if, the if, same lap time if we by agree- adding weight and restricting oh, okay. aero and things if, like if that? If we agree that more wind tunnel time equals more lap time, then this is balance for balance of performance. I... I, I, I I think it's just the wrong label, but um, it, ostensibly, yes, it's the right kind of thing. 
And that's the kind of nitpicky linguistic point that I wanted to make from the first place. When you talk, when they talk about it, they say the team who finishes first in uh, 2022 will be allowed 90% of the quota for CFD and wind tunnel time. When what they should have said is that the team that finishes first will get X time and then everyone, then the per team below them gets X plus N percent and then X plus Y percent and then X plus Z percent so that wherever the top team ends is considered a hundred percent. That's the standard. And then everyone beneath it will get extra time to try and catch up. And we, we've seen, you know, we, we saw this happen with the development tokens in the engines and stuff like this, where, where the FIA is really what they want is they want uh, a reasonable amount of parity where some of it is down to the team's skill. Can I exploit my resources efficiently? And some of it is just down to, you know, who did the best job. Okay, so right, I, I want to make this point about balance and performance because I've got no problem with it. The same way I had no problem with reverse grids. There's a perception that a balance of performance or reverse grids gives the lower teams something. It it doesn't really. It gives them more of a fighting chance. But overall, you know, if you if you handicap a top team a little bit and you bring them closer to the pack, they lose their points advantage. So then you take away some of those balance of performance things that are restricting them. So if you did it with weight and Mercedes were 10 seconds ahead, so you, you give them a bit of extra weight, if they fell back to second, you would take some of that weight away and they'd still be a really good team that would be able to then, oh, you've taken the weight off, now we perform better. So the balance of performance comes back. My point here is, Matt, that balance of performance isn't about handicapping the top teams. It's just about, it's more about the spectacle. It's about bringing everyone together with racing. So even with a reverse grid, the guys that are, the teams that are better will still have a, more of a chance of making their way up the grid. And as long as you're scoring, scoring points all the way down the grid, that still registers. So if you're at the back of the grid, you're like, brilliant. I'm at the back of the grid because I won the last race. Yes, score. You fight your way up the grid and you score more points the more you fight your way up. It, it, it doesn't handicap, uh, it doesn't stop a top team being better than other people. It, all it does is influence what spectacle we have. Yeah, it, it brings the teams closer. And I, I understand Chris's uh, complaint, though. And this is fundamentally different because uh, balance of performance is inherently based on performances on track by the teams. The governing body looks at it and it says, you, you can't run your turbo boost as high. You, you have to add 10 kilograms of ballast. You, you get an extra, you get an extra three liters of fuel tank allowance for your run. And it tries to balance the performance of the cars this way. And just to go clearly through the numbers, in 2022, the top team gets 90%. You scroll down to the bottom team gets 112.5%. Uh, from 2022 onwards, the world champions only get 70% of the time, 5% increments, and the last team gets 115% of what's considered 100%. So it's clear that if you are a backmarker team with enough resources to be able to take advantage That's of key. it, you will get, you will definitely get a boost and a chance to catch up to the teams that are ahead of you. Will it be enough to bring things so close that we start to see midfield teams regularly on the podium? I'm not yet convinced of that. No. I've got my fingers crossed. Not convinced, but I'm optimistic. Jules makes the point 
of course, which is, well, do they even have the capacity to to take advantage of that extra wind tunnel time? But the the key thing is, none of those measures will work unless the cost cap is effective. And if they really are just carving five million a year, then we're talking about by the time I retire aged 50 with uh, a luxury mansion and beds made entirely of money, that by the time I get to that point, we are going to have a situation where privateer teams can come in and get more aero and development time. And we effectively have a balance of performance uh, with development. And and that's key because at the moment, the top teams, Matt, they can really develop their way out of trouble. They can do it at the beginning of the season. And then all throughout the season, they can go down various dead ends using their money, using their resources and stretch away from the midfield. Yeah, and that brings up a good point. Number one, if there is a new team, they automatically get the same allotment as the last place team, which is different because usually uh, when it came to money, if you showed up as a new team, you had to run two years before you were even eligible for certain levels of prize money. And then the second thing that's being talked about that, that we haven't discussed yet is that the engine manufacturers are now on board with restrictions on dynamometer test bed time. No one knows what that means, Matt. Limited upgrade introductions during the season for the teams. These are both things that are in these rules packages that are now being talked about that haven't really been there before. Dynamometer, you know, it's the amount of power that the engine makes. They they take a cylinder and they put it on there and they test the power and they make the tweak. I had had a late lunch. I had a late lunch. Did someone say tires? And I was going to have supper after this show, but now I can just chew on that word salad. Chris Stevens, finish this off for us and then we're going to wrap this up. I'm seeing a lot of comments in the chat room about uh, this is uh, rules like this. They move Formula One away from being a sport to entertainment, and more about the show. All sports for entertainment. Me, well, well, for me, this is no different than say the forward pass rule in rugby. Right? Rug is not a sport, Chris. Chris, Chris, Chris right, no, me, rugby's not a sport. Come on, yes, it is. It's more you're embarrassing you yourself now. Jeez. Anyway, anyway, for me, it makes it more of a sport because it's. It's less about money and more about the skill of every single member of your team. Oh God, I'm going to agree with you, Chris. What this is doing, I think the state F1 is in at the moment is we've got a football match where one team can turn up with seven players and another team can turn up with 15 players. Exactly. And the more we do the cost cap, the more we do what we're calling a virtual bop, a virtual balance of performance. We're just getting it to the point where we have 11 v 11 or 11 v 12. You know, so yeah, no, I, I think this is making it more sport. I agree with you, Chris. That that hurts, but I think that's a symbol that you are learning from me, and my oh, mentorship God. is is really working. It's really. I working. haven't learned a damn thing from you. Awesome. I tell you who we do learn from: our fantastic chat room, Matt, and they make comments uh, all show long. And frankly, they make this this show for me. We have our had in the last few weeks a couple of thousand people check in during our live streams i've absolutely loved it it's brought this experience of chatting f1 here on this podcast to life and we reward them just one just the best just the very best of them matt we reward them with this honor comment of the week they get awarded the coveted prize of comment of the week so are you sure you want to Am I sure I want to 
do this so early? I mean, we've barely reached an hour here. I mean, yeah, no, I, I think I've timed this perfectly, that by the end of comment of the week, we will have stuck to our strict hour time limit. And if we just keep saying it, Matt, if we just keep repeating something over and over again, it doesn't matter how accurate it is. Uh, we just have to just hope that everyone forgets and the next big thing comes along and people won't remember that we're massive, massive liars spouting constant untruths and insulting the people who listen to us. I'm definitely still talking about the time limit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Time limit. Um, I hammer. Matt Trumpet's Ragsdale looks ever so handsome tonight. Thank you, but those comments are not eligible. And I just need to point that out to those who might be new in the chat room. Just I, as an example. I still judge you example. for constantly reading those out, though. That's but they're an example to the new people. <sighs> what about the ones talking about how handsome I am? Uh, well, if I find any, I promise I will include them as well. You promise? I promise. Okay. Um, I also need to shout out iHammer for his 20 Dutch kroner contribution thank and you mike stoner for his one pound 99 contribution in the super chat super you're chat. always welcome thank to you. do that you can go to our website and leave some money in the tip jar yes uh, mistapexpodcast.com sorry yep and can we not even sign up on patreon if you want to make it a monthly thing instead join our communities and get an ad free feed by going to patreon.com forward slash mistapex i love how we were vibing off each other there there's a good energy i like it let's work on that that was that was very good so down to the real competitors. Keternath, Iyer, Brazil, Ocon Verstappen, push did come to shove. It certainly did. Christopher Fonseca runs to Twitter. I have two reliable sources that say Hamilton is leaving Mercedes, making fun of our Hamilton discussion. Yeah. I think also, it was more Chris, making fun of yep. our like general clickbait discussion as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, Christopher Fonseca sparkles. A Rolodex is like the contacts app printed on dead trees. Rolodex, mate. Honestly, get yourself one. Where where do you put business cards right now, Chris, when people give them to you? Where do you put them? Uh, in my wallet. Wallet, you say? Okay, good. What all right. is that? Yeah. I don't know. Don't we just keep all our money on phones now? Or is that just me? I only... Where do you keep your card? I only trade in Bitcoin. Matt, who's next? <laughs> I just tap my cell phone and it pays. I don't know. I don't even know who pays for it anymore. DJ Opdam, Renault on winning again in F1 is like cold fusion. It's always an X amount of years away of being a reality. Five to ten years, at least. Um, we have Mirror 303 of I, Daniel Apt to Renault, confirmed. Okay. Well, is it Daniel Apt or is it someone in a Daniel Apt suit? does remind me of the, the, the quite, I enjoyed it, the Will Smith, Lewis Hamilton skit where he pretended to kidnap Lewis Hamilton and go out, go out and race for him. That, I, that made me laugh. Go and, go and search for that. Uh, that was hilarious. Um, we have... Mike Stoner, Fernando, everyone is faster than you regarding his return to Formula One. Because you proper old. Yeah. And I, I hesitate to include this, but because I'm of this age, I will. AZ Wings, Alonzo, how is your prostate? No, that's not an appropriate comment. That's all. No, no, no. no? You've badly no? misjudged uh, that. I have. I have how many are left it. that you've done 10 already? Only one. Our friend DJ Optum with is the cost cap as stringent as the map one hour time limit? Which I think is a good question. We have always stayed under the one hour time limit. Look into my eyes, not around my eyes. I'm staring into the camera. That's how you know you can trust me. This is an hour long show. Matt, who's the winner? It's got to be Kiernath Iyer, Brazil, Ocon Verstappen. Push did come to show. What well on, buddy. Comment of the week. 
I believe not your first win. Follow us on social media. It makes us happy. At Spanners Ready, the show at Missed Apex F1. Our new friend is Jules Sagers with two E's. Sagers, correct, Jules? Yeah. Yeah, at Jules Sagers on Twitter. Chris, at Chris on Racing, at uh, Matt, at MattPT55, or his wife, at A Weaver Writes. Why am I plugging his wife? Well, oh dear, now why am I plugging his wife's books? Uh, we'll need to catch that one in the edit, Steve. Oh, because <laughs> she writes uh, Matt Trumpet's fan fiction. No, uh, she writes romance novels, which you might be interested in buying, and that helps fund Matt's dream of doing this podcast for very little money. So do go and check her out as well. We'll be back here next Sunday here on YouTube, live stream 8 p.m. UK time. So look for Missed Apex podcast on YouTube. Subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice as well. And wherever you see us next, be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Ah, good. I think I got away with uh, thinly veiling my anger at the events of the day, Matt. I think I completely got away with that. That was, yeah, well done. No Spanish. one noticed. No, no one noticed. Completely got sources. away with it. It's sources. Fun. Sources say. Yeah. Look. No. Yes. No. no one has any idea what I was talking about. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.